I'm gonna be me I'm gonna be free While I'm walking on moonbeams And staring out to sea If a door be closed And a row of homes start building And tear your curtains down For sunlight is like gold Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, January 12, 2020. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So we are in uh, just still the first couple of uh, start of 2020, and the theater season really has kicked off, and we haven't really got a lot of things to review for you today, but we do have a lot of stuff to talk about, because this week we had a notification that uh, Sing Street, the uh, new musical down at New York Theater Workshop that Peter and Michael have already reviewed, is going to be transferring to the Lyceum uh, for the spring. So, Peter and Michael, does this uh, surprise you? A little, but um, in a way not, <clears throat> because what we're talking about here is New York Theatre Workshop, which has had so many shows uh, transferred to Broadway. And when you think of the musicals they've had transferred, Rent, Once, and hmm. Hadestown, <laughs> they all have one thing in common, <laughs> and that is, um, and I think even those who even casually watch the Tonys might be able to answer this trivia question, which is they all won best musical. So um, I'm not sure that'll happen to Sing Street, but still it's pretty interesting how down at New York Theatre Workshop that um, they have such success with so many shows. Um, Ironically enough, the day that the news came out, that Sing Street was moving, I had weeks in advance arranged to talk to Jim Nicola who's been the artistic director there since 1988. Can this guy hold a job or what? I mean, really, (laughs) that is so impressive uh, because how many people last that long in that position? Well, the the fact that he green-lighted rent (laughs) is probably a a tremendous uh, plus in his favor. (laughs) No question. And it may other people green with envy. There's no question about that, too. Mm. Um, And really, um, one of the reasons, of course, the place has been able to stay alive is, of course, they do get some... uh, trickle down economics from um, from those properties. But I mean, it isn't just that. I mean, when one thinks of that place, wasn't ne- one doesn't necessarily think of musicals because they, they do about five shows a year, sometimes three, sometimes six, but usually five now. And <clears throat> the thing is that Ha, we we I think of, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think of this place as a place for plays more than musicals. And of course, slave play came from there, too. And I mean, the idea that that moved to Broadway to me is still a miracle because I can't imagine many tourists who come to the city, especially those who want to visit St. 
Patrick's Cathedral would be very interested in seeing slave play. And yet they, you know, four out of five seats were sold um, pretty much during the run, which is pretty good for a, a, a quirky play like that. So they also did what the Constitution means to me, you know. So um, and I mean, that didn't in best play, I'll grant you, but it was one of the two finalists for the Pulitzer. And what's really amazing about that show is that um, it's an autobiographical play about Heidi uh, Schreck's life and her mother and and all that. And yet now somebody else is playing that part on tour, at least was, I don't know if it's still running. Peter and the Starcatcher came from there. And when I said that to uh, Jim, he said, well, you know, we had enhancement money on that one. And Mm. he was very frank about that. You know, um, still he had to green light it. And um, the fact remains that this has become one of the most popular shows. I mean, no matter where I go, I've seen it in North Dakota. I mean that. North Dakota. So um, so as a result, you know, there was that one, too. And Dirty Blonde, which was equally as ubiquitous um, after it was produced by New York Theater Workshop. And um, so uh, really, this guy um, really um, knows how to do it. And he was very frank about saying um, there are about 20 shows a year that I would love to do. And I have to say no to 15 of them. Um, so it's so hard. And I understand that point of view. And as I said to him, yes, I know being on various committees like uh, the drama desk and Lortel, you know, when we have to narrow down to five, we know how hard that is too. So, I mean, I can um, certainly agree with that, but anyway, we'll see what happens to Sig street, but um, given the pedigree of this place, I don't think we should count it out as yet the fourth um, show to win best musical. Who knows? Michael, uh, did this uh, surprise you the transfer? Well, a little bit, because as we discussed uh, previously, the the show did not receive universal rave reviews. In fact, um, there's a report about the transfer in Broadway Journal, Hmm. and it says um, uh, complicating the picture is the critical reception off Broadway, which was not as rave ridden as the reviews that greeted once. While New York Magazine's Helen Shaw described Sing Street as transporting and delightful. Ben Bradley in the Times called it, quote, promising but still unfulfilled, and added that its, quote, auspicious elements often seem to exist in a lumbering, sleepwalking state, as if waiting to be stimulated into the ideal selves that lurk within. Uh, I, I think that's a little harsh. I, I enjoyed mm. it a lot, a lot more than that. I think there were some issues with it, but, um, uh, you, you know, uh, yeah, it's common for off Broadway shows to transfer when they receive across the board raves and they're selling out. Uh, this one is selling out, even though it didn't receive across the board raves. And I'm sure that's why it's coming to Broadway, but, uh, to go back for a moment to Jim Nicola, yeah, I, I mean, I remember when Rent happened and thereafter, and of course there was so much publicity about it, um, specifically because of Jonathan Larson's tragic early death, mm-hmm. but there was uh, publicity about it and talk of how open Mr. Nicola was to new works and and being the type of artistic director who was approachable in that regard. Uh, So many of these people, you maybe feel that uh, they're hard to get, they're very, very hard to get to. And sometimes maybe you even feel like their, their main job is to say no. Uh, Mm -hmm. But apparently uh, Jim is not like that. And they're wonderful stories of how I I think um, 
there was a story about how Jonathan Larson like dropped off a, uh, I don't know if it was a tape or a mm-hmm. script or all that on on his bike one day, mm-hmm. uh, and you know and gave it to him directly. Uh, so. And look what happened. And all of those shows that Peter mentioned that that have moved, uh, musicals and non-musicals, I'd say they're all very, very worthy and, and really among the best, especially uh, the uh, the musicals. Obviously, it's been difficult for people uh, uh, in, in the present day to come up with new musicals with new songs uh, that interest mm-hmm. people. And this is why we have such a glut of bio musicals and jukebox musicals. But, um, but the track record of New York theater workshop in that regard is absolutely about as good as it can get. Uh, so I, yeah, I can't say enough about Jim Nicola and, and what, uh, he has wrought there, and, and and I'm so it's heartwarming that they you know that they've reaped the benefits of it. Uh, yes. Well, what I was going to say is um, Jim told me that it's not just a case of finding new playwrights. He is just as intent on finding new directors. And um, there was some sort of confab that was done in Amsterdam many moons ago. He went over there and he had heard some good things about a certain director. And he said, I want to see his work. And they said, oh, it's not on. Um, But in those days, um, even back in the 90s, uh, Amsterdam, uh, this organization was taping, uh, videotaping shows. And so they said, well, if you want to see his work, we'll give you some, um, video cassettes or, uh, I guess it was, you know, and the thing is he watched them and, you know, it's so much harder to get a sense sure. of a show from a video. And even if it's professionally shot, which I imagine, you know, the, the production values were very good. Even so, you know, it's, it's much easier to get a sense of what a director is doing when you're watching the actual show itself and not a video. And yet he said, Whoa, this guy is really something. And that was Ivo Van Hove. So he's really responsible for that guy coming to America and, um, and having a, a, the start of the career here. And uh, whether you like him or not, and God knows he's controversial. The fact remains is that uh, he's become a presence. And um, as we all know, he has a show on Broadway right now, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, which show would that be? <laughs> no, <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that in, in the next few minutes. So, uh, yeah, uh, Jim Nicola is a is a presence on uh, Broadway in the New York theater community, uh, and I found his bio over at the Obie Awards. Interesting that the New York yeah, you got an Obie, yeah, a lifetime yeah. Obie, right? Yeah, the New York Theater Workshop does not have a bio for him on their website. Oh, well, that's something. That's very mm-hmm. interesting. He seemed very modest to me. Um, it seems it, very, very modest, yeah. Yeah, he really he really seemed that way. And what was so interesting, I mean, there were two Tony Awards on a shelf and Lutell Awards and all that kind of stuff. And they were very unassuming. I still remember the time I went to Tommy Toon's apartment and his Tony, he only had one at the time, uh, was on um, a little pedestal with a, a light actually shining on it. You know, and I mean, that's not the case here. They uh, it, it really, the Tony seemed to be mixed in with uh, so many other things. Um, so he's very unassuming, I think. Um, I really bought that. And uh, and what was so nice was his telling me about growing up in Hartford. Um, and there was this experience he had where um, he was a paper boy. And um, one of his customers was uh, a woman who lived nearby. And he said <clears throat> that one day he saw her out mowing the lawn with not an electric mower, but a hand mower. And she was smoking a cigarette. 
and she was wearing a halter top and uh, little shorts. And as he said, she was ample. That's his word. And um, yeah, he, he thought that she looked kind of funny. All right. Well, as it turned out, she worked with the community theater there. And she said, I'm sick of we're doing Neil Simon. We're going to do some evenings of Shakespeare. And they did a uh, cutting from Hamlet. And he said, when she did Gertrude and she did Ophelia's speech, it, it was so amazing to me to see this woman who I had virtually laughed at transform herself into something magnificent. He said, that was really a big moment for me um, to see what theater could do. And he said, so much of what I've learned has come from being in a theater seat. And I think that's true of a lot of us. Hmm. That's really interesting. Uh, uh, where are you going to uh, publish this interview? Uh, Broadway Select. <clears throat> It'll be a Broadway Select. So you let yeah, us know in a couple of weeks. Yeah, couple probably. Weeks. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the twenty-first, twentieth. Uh, sorry, twentieth. I think it'll be. So remind oh. us when it when it comes back, so okay. we can uh, deal. point our listeners in that direction. Okay. Just um, just to give you an overview, the, the uh, just a little bit of this uh, bio of Jim Nicola from the Obie Awards website. Uh, it says Jim Nicola has been the artistic director of New York Theater Workshop since 1988. That's something. Um, uh, he has created all sorts, you know, aside from being the artistic director uh, of New York Theater Workshop, uh, you know, what that entails is not only just bringing those shows to New York Theater Workshop, but lots of different programming and ways in which that New York Theater Workshop reaches out to the people who create theater. Uh, and he created this thing called Usual Suspects. Did you talk about Usual Suspects in the uh, interview? Um, That's the... Um, he forged a unique community of theater artists, the Usual Suspects, which now boasts over 600 members and whose work has shaped the very idea of what theater can be. This group of writers, directors, designers, and actors form the core of New York Theater Workshop's artistic development activities. No, um, actually, I was um, confusing that with the object lesson, uh, which was a show. So that's why I paused there. Was that what it was called? I, I wasn't sure. But it's the object lesson that um, this was the one where a guy was going through boxes. And oh, yeah. Remember, uh, you and I saw it that the same <laughs> night. We were at the theater. We were at New York Theater Workshop, the... Uh, sitting on the crates on the floor in the middle of the room. <laughs> but, but here's the thing about this. I mean, <clears throat> he, um, he was interested in this guy, uh, Jeff Sobel. And what had happened was he had gone to the next wave festival in Brooklyn and had seen him do this show. And it, it interested him and it excited him. And he said, we've got to bring it to a New York Theater Workshop. But the thing is, the space it was in was about half the size of the New York Theater Workshop. So as a result... They had to find more boxes and they had to put more stuff in boxes. Yeah. And, you know, really, I'm, I, I, I'm thinking of William Goldman uh, when he was doing Adventures in the Screen Trade. And he was talking to saying, look, all of you out there who want to be writers, you know, some of you write things where you say 500 camels come over the hill. And people say uh, the people who are reading the script say 500 camels. Where are we going to get the camels? How are we <laughs> going to get them together? And, and they throw the script away. Um, but here's a guy who saw this show with so many boxes filled with so many things, and yet he knew he'd have to double that and how much work that would entail. And because he, the property excited him, he went ahead and did it. It wasn't a case where it's too much trouble. No, no. He believed in it, so he did it. <laughs> it says here, before joining New York Theater Workshop, Mr. Nicola spent seven years at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., first as the National Endowment for the Arts Directing <clears throat> Fellow and later as a producing associate. From 75 to 80, 1975 to 1980, Mr. Nicola was casting coordinator for New York Shakespeare Festival. 
uh, sit down. At the he got there just yeah. before chorus line happened, and he said it was so interesting. You know, people going around say, "Oh God, you won't believe what's going." I don't know what's going up in Martinson Hall. I mean, you know, who knows what they're doing up there? I mean, they've been there for so long, and I mean, we we don't see any results. <laughs> and I mean, oh, yeah. he said there really was a lot of grumbling about chorus line, and uh, mm. of course that turned out to be okay. You know, and I wonder <laughs> how much that has influenced him from the vantage point of not panicking when things aren't going well that um that he saw that um something really good could happen if you if you have patience and of course talent and um and for that matter genius but still um he also was um uh, involved in the casting of pirates of penzance which uh, certainly turned out to be a major hit and a revelation i mean when you think of it how many people were really doing the Pirates of Penzance before that production? And now it's really a staple in so many uh, community and regional theaters. But and I don't public think domain. Happening. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> public <laughs> indeed. domain. <laughs> yeah, that hits the spot, doesn't it? I just heard Lady Be Good is in public domain now. So if any of you out there want to do Lady Be Good, it's not going to cost you as much as it would, um, say, Fun Home or whatever. <laughs> the... Uh... Uh, other the last part of this thing, as Pete, Peter mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, some of these extraordinary productions Mr. Nicola has been involved with: uh, Jonathan Larson's Rent, Tony Kushner's Slavs, Homebody Kambul, Doug Wright's Quilts, uh, Quills, excuse me, not mm, yeah. um, Claudia Shears' Blown Sideways Through Life, and Dirty Blonde, Paul Rudnick's The Most Famous Story Ever Told, mm-hmm. also Valhalla, Martha Clark's Vienna. Uh, Lust House, Will Powers, this seven f- and fetch clay, make men, Carol Churchill's oh, yeah. Mad mm-hmm. Forest, Far mm-hmm. Away, a number of love and information, Jessica, Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen's Aftermath, Rick Ellis's uh, Peter and the Starcatcher, mm-hmm. um, Enda Walsh's Wunch, David Bowie and Enda Walsh's Lazarus, uh, The Gimmick and Forever, Aeneas Mitchell's Town, as we talked about, Heidi mm-hmm. Shrek, we talked about, uh, What's mm-hmm. the Constitution Means to Me, Jeremy O'Havish's Slave Play, as uh, mm-hmm. Peter mentioned, Stan Gold's production of Othello, mm-hmm. and eight productions directed by Ivo Van Hove. So, yeah. I well, mean, you know, there has to be something to balance the the good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> coming back to the original question here, Sing Street is coming to Broadway. And with that list that I have just uh, talked about, I have to think that somebody knows something that is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that he would bring these things to Broadway if it weren't really... Uh, if he didn't really believe that it was the right venue for Broadway. Well, I think uh, you mentioned Lazarus before. I think that's a show that they very much would have liked to transfer, but everyone realized that it just was not ready. So uh, I think you have to really give them credit for that. Yeah, and I think uh, Lazarus went on to productions in London and other places around the world uh, to much acclaim. so, you know, eventually Lazarus could at one point or another head back to Broadway, but uh, that's a good point that you make, Michael, that, um, that uh, you know, they, mm. they've made, a, they made an intelligent decision not to, not to bring Lazarus. I, it wasn't my favorite thing that I saw down at New York Theatre Workshop. And um, much of the talk about Sing Street is that they have a very good property that needs some work. Now, the question is, is that they only have eight weeks or so between closing mm. of Sing Street to 
before uh, first preview on Broadway. So how much work could they really do or have maybe they've been working on it all through this whole process down at New York Theater Workshop? Well, one interesting thing is that I did read the announcement and uh, according to the press release we got so far, there are two people who are not transferring. One is Gus Helper, who plays the brother of the main character and, and who got uniformly wonderful reviews. And the other one is the uh, lighting designer, Christopher Ackerland. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I have no idea what's behind those two. Actually, the, uh, the Gus Halper role, no one has been announced for it. So it's possible he might still be doing it and he just hasn't signed yet. Um, and uh, but the lighting designer, I don't know, maybe, maybe Mr. Ackerland has got some tremendous other project uh, lined up. This week on Broadway is being brought to you by our friends at ExpressVPN. Some of you may not know what a VPN is. It stands for Virtual Private Network. There are many reasons to use a VPN, but I want to talk about two that I believe are most important to you, the listener. The first reason to use ExpressVPN is security. If you're connected to a public Wi-Fi network at a hotel, an airport, a coffee shop, wherever, there are no way to know how secure this network is. It could be 100% secure, or it could be very insecure and showing all of your personal information. If you use ExpressVPN on any of your devices, a laptop, phone, tablets, whatever, this will prevent anyone else from seeing your personal info. The second reason to use ExpressVPN it can change your location so you can view services that are restricted by location. Like, uh, say, you, if you want to watch the BBC or NT Live from the U.S., you can use ExpressVPN to make uh, them think that you are in the U.K. and vice versa. If you are in another part of the world and want to view PBS great performances, use ExpressVPN to connect to PBS.org. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. Don't let technology stop you from getting in your Sondheim fix. ExpressVPN is lightning fast and you will not have any buffering issues that you have in other VPN services. So if you want to visit our special link right now, expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio. Another show that has been talked a lot, uh, talked about a lot this week, um has been the West Side Story revival happening over at the Broadway where uh, we had some casting changes, some injuries, and things like that. Uh, Michael, you want to uh, bring us up to speed on what's happening at West Side? Well, of course, we're only told so much. What happened first was that Isaac Powell, uh, a few weeks ago, reportedly was injured, uh, and that resulted in the official opening of the show being pushed back. Uh, and I suppose that maybe some people thought that maybe that wasn't the only reason why it was being pushed back because we had also heard initially that the choreography was going to be reworked, uh, extensively. I'm not sure if that's still happening. It, it seems, um, I, I, I haven't heard anything specifically, uh, in terms of reports from people who have seen it, have either of you, as far as no, I haven't yeah. heard any any dramatic changes in West Side Story. What right. I will say is that I know plenty of civilians who have been um, John Q. Public people who love it, yeah, love it beyond yeah. belief. Grosses are doing very, very good. 
Yeah, they're, they're spectacular. Um, it seems that, uh, oh, and then the, the other thing was that the fellow who played Riff uh, mm. was then announced to be injured, and he, it was announced, is not going to be returning. So, you know, we, but we don't know details. Was it that serious an, in, an injury? Uh, is it only because he was injured? Uh, is that the only reason why he's not returning, or did they decide they weren't happy with him? Uh, Anyway, uh, that, that's, a, that's, I'm sure, very disappointing for him, uh, Ben Cook. Sure. Yeah, uh, so the first injury was their Tony, and they pushed back mm-hmm. opening night for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Cook had a shoulder injury, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they could really afford to uh, – push back another two weeks to the opening night uh that that might cause all sorts of logistical problems for them uh so maybe they made the business decision to move forward but i but peter this has got to be screwing up your uh your <laughs> theater world awards uh viewing schedule because all these people are uh making yeah, their debuts, debuts. debuts yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always difficult when that happens. And, um, you know, it was last year was the Ferryman. And I was really concerned about that because everybody, virtually everybody was making a debut. Mm. Um, and uh, we did one giving up two awards to uh, to people from the Ferryman. But, um, yeah, I mean, um, uh, as, as Jim DeCola says, you know, 20 shows, I have to make uh, five decisions. And um, we'll have to make the decisions, too. Some people are going to be left off, even though they're going to be wonderful, I'm sure. But uh, that happens every year. But we do have more to deal with this year because of that. Well, anyway, the new riff is Darren E. Jones. That's D-H-A-R-O-N-E Jones. And uh, so best him. And, uh, you know, uh, Ben Cook, you know, we're sorry (laughs) that that happened. But uh, hopefully he will persevere and, and we'll see him again soon. There's no truth to the rumor that they break out into singing in the rain in the middle of the show, do they? Mm. Well, no, but but since you brought that up, yeah, apparently, uh, 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 as I'm sure many people have heard, there there is on on stage rain for I've heard for like the last fifteen or twenty minutes of the show, and uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it sounds like that that is contributing to the injuries, and people are wondering if uh, you know if equity is going to become involved now that two, you know, two sure. people have been sure. so severely injured uh, that that uh, well, in one case that a postponement was necessary, and the other case that the person has been removed from the show. Uh, obviously, it's a matter for concern, and uh, I, I certainly hope it's being monitored. Hmm. Okay, so uh, why don't we talk about last week's trivia question, Peter? <laughs> okay, sure. Um, the question was, he was nominated as Best Actor in a Musical, and she was nominated as Best Actress in a Musical for the same show. Each had already won a Tony, and yet together they had less to sing than two people who are heard more often on the original cast album. Two people, in fact, who had never before appeared on Broadway and never would again. The two nominees, however, would make other Broadway appearances. What's the show in question? Who are the two stars? You didn't name the two nobodies unless you really want to. Well, the show was Ballroom, and it opened with Dorothy Loudon and Vincent Cardinia. She'd won for Annie, and he won for The Prisoner of Second Avenue. Uh, both did receive nominations for Ballroom. However, Lynn Roberts and Bernie Nee, as Marlene and Nathan, the band singers, 
had more musical numbers than they. Tony Janicki got it first and even named Robertson Nee. He was followed by Steve Bell, who knew the answer because he went to school with Mr. Nee's kids. <laughs> and Craig Christensen got it, too. So those are the three who did um, figure it out. The um, uh, <laughs> Tony uh, Janicki was back in New York recently, and we were supposed to get together again, but it, it didn't work out on my end. So I'm sorry about that. But I, uh, you know, congratulations again, as always. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is the answer to last week's trivia. Later on in this uh, broadcast, we will talk about the question for this week's trivia. Uh, Mark Robinson, the uh, writer from Mark Robinson Writes, Hmm. uh, over at Broadway Direct, sends us the message that Jake Gyllenhaal is going to bring Fun Home to the big screen. Now, we already knew that Fun Home was coming, but the new element in this equation is Jake Gyllenhaal. So, Michael, tell us about this. Well, it sounds like a great role for him, Bruce Bechtel. Uh, so I think that a lot of people are very excited about this news. And uh, we certainly ha- seem to be having a resurgence of movie musicals, don't we? Mm. And, and specifically, <laughs> you know, musicals adapted from the stage musicals. Yeah. So I hope that, uh, um, you know, whatever, I think I may have mentioned this last week, cats, cats certainly, uh, has had a very mixed to negative reception. But when I went to see cats, I also saw the trailer for in the Heights, which looks fantastic. Mm, And then I'm hearing incredibly, incredibly good things about the new West side story. And now we have Fun Home, and what else am I leaving out? I feel like there are several others. There may be, but the wonderful thing about this, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is that Jake Gyllenhaal isn't afraid to play um, a gay man. Mm. And uh, so many actors over the years have been, and um, and he has become such a theatrical presence. I mean, not only because uh, he has... um, done this um and uh, uh, and recently we saw him in uh seawall life um but also he's been producing he's got a company called nine stories mm. which i imagine has something to do with jd salinger maybe he admired mm, him tremendously yeah um but anyway he he was one of the producers of slave play and he's going to be involved with carolina change too so um so here's a man who's really committing himself to uh, theatrical projects either on broadway uh or, or or on the screen and i think that's really quite wonderful that he's that devoted to it and um is he is going to sunday in the park in london isn't he i think so yeah yeah uh, so as a result, um, one really has to be impressed with his um, devotion to the stage uh, because he's a guy who I do believe could get a movie anytime he wanted. And yet look what's happening. So um, the fact that he's concentrating on uh, Broadway, London and um, and Hollywood in terms of <laughs> a movie musical. Whoa, that's that's quite a trifecta. And another salient point about the movie of Fun Home, uh, the, uh, the only casting that's been announced so far is Jake, but Sam Gold will be directing it, mm-hmm. directed the, the stage production. So mm-hmm. that's obviously very, very significant. It's, uh, I, I think what Peter's saying here is, is very important that uh, we explicitly out, outline that we, nobody thinks that Fun Home is going to be 
you know, the next Avengers. It's not sure. going to be sure. It, it's not going to be a hundred <laughs> million dollar film. It's no. it's not. It might win some awards, but it's going to uh, be an art house indie type yep, of release. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that uh, you know, certainly Jake and Sam Gold and anybody else involved with this thing is making it for the love of the property, not for um uh tremendous We'll get riches. rich. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So uh, I think that it's really important that these large names are embracing important stories like Fun Home for the stories themselves and not for uh, other other types of reasons. But um, this is really wonderful. And not only that, but I also believe that when you have a Fun Home film coming out with Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Sam Gold directing it, that... I think that uh, promotes other fun home productions in community theaters and universities and regional theaters uh, oh, sure. know, years after that, which is sure. uh, a, a huge boost to the underlying material. And, and I think that that's, that's wonderful that they're doing this. Yeah, and uh, you, one might equate it to the film of the last five years, which yeah. – did not do that well in terms of box offices, you know, uh, in its initial release, but now it's there. And uh, I'm sure that it gets referred to and downloaded and, and streamed and uh, et cetera by many young people who are going to be doing the show in various places. So uh, it's, it's like cast albums back in the day. Well, cast albums back in the day were tremendous sellers, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. in the fifties. But then even after that, uh, they, uh, when they weren't so popular, uh, they would make money over time. You know, they, they might debut and, and, and only have a fraction of the sales of a rock album or a mm-hmm. pop album. But then, you know, 10 years later, that pop album and that rock album, nobody's buying it. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas the, the show is still being done at colleges and high mm-hmm. schools, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, and people are buying the album. So well, it's- I do a column every Tuesday for Masterworks Broadway on cast albums, and Scott Farthing, um, who's um, part of the brass there, tells me that not a week goes by that Annie is not on their top 10 sellers. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, because indeed, you know, people are still doing Annie, you know, in terms of fun home. um, (laughs) It seems to me I see it being done a lot in uh, regional theater. And I think that's really quite wonderful. And yes, there will be more uh, since Um, (laughs) at the risk of being irrelevant. I want to tell a story about when I went to see the uh, last five years movie, which was held at the Minetta Lane. They were doing a screening there. It was starting at six o'clock. At 8 o'clock that night, I was to do a panel discussion at NYU, um, just down the street. So the movie's going to start at 6. I checked uh, IMDb, 90 minutes. Okay, great. You know, I mean, half hour to get there, no problem. 6 o'clock, 6.10, Oh, my God. You know, uh, 6.20, that's all right. You know, I mean, I can still get there 10 minutes. That'll be fine. Out comes Jason Robert Brown. Out comes the producer of the movie. Out comes the director. They're doing speeches. Something. Oh my god. Oh my god. You know, I can't walk out because nobody who sees me walk out will say, "Oh, he must have some place to go." Mm-hmm. They'll say, "Oh, he thinks the picture stinks." Oh my god. What am I going to do? I mean, they're waiting for me at NYU. They start the movie. They start the movie. Suddenly, it a blackout. 
not a blackout in the sense of um, electricity. What I mean is the movie disintegrated or something. I don't know what happened, but the place is totally in darkness, and I was able to sneak out without anybody really noticing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> True story. I'll take a polygraph test anytime anybody wants me to, uh, and I'll pass it. Believe me, that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was really great that I was able to sneak out without anybody noticing. So uh, uh, I wanted to um, – I, I don't want to, to cause any havoc here, Michael, but I, I wanted to see if you noticed that Renee Zellweger won a Golden Globe for her Judy Garland. <laughs> oh, I did, yeah. Uh, havoc in what sense? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know that um, – I know that this uh, the film of Judy Garland uh, called Judy. Uh, I I don't think that uh, you enjoyed it very much, or you were going to see it at all. Did you see it? Oh no, no, you must be be misremembering. Okay. <laughs> no, I liked it quite a lot. Oh, you did. Oh, yes. It, it was the the play based right. on. Oh uh, yes. It was, oh, that's yes. what it was. Okay. Yes. 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 So if uh, any, any chance you think that now that this uh, this film has uh, gotten such great Golden Globe acclaim and possibly Academy Award uh, nominations, uh, uh, will this come to uh, be turned into a play? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it uh, well it is technically based you know on how the, the producers the one... was a film, then it was a sure, sure, was a gold, sure, then right. it was back to you know <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> could very well be. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I I certainly like the script of the film much better than the play, if that's what you're asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't. But I don't know if we would see it on Broadway without Renee Zellweger. And mm-hmm. you know, as long as there's such a thing as an egot, yeah. it's entirely possible that she will want to come to Broadway and uh, chuck that one off. Um, and uh, you know, Lord knows there are different categories in the Golden Globes than there are for the Oscars, and. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with her Oscar chances, but um, um, it's not impossible that she could win. It's funny. Just last night, I was at a local restaurant, and there were a bunch of guys there at the, uh, at the bar, and they were talking uh, about that the film, and they were all extremely positive about the film and her performance. They were just raving about it. Uh, but not long before that, I had heard from some. D- detractors <laughs> uh it's like almost everything that happens today uh it seems uh people have such varying opinions on it and of course judy garland is uh, such a special special star to so many millions of people still and, and people feel very possessive of her oh, and yeah. uh so i think that it's fascinating to hear people talk about her uh, Renee's performance in the same way uh, that it was uh, interesting to hear people talk about that show with Tracy Bennett uh, and the v- very widely varying reactions on that as well, including me and Peter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, also at the Golden Globes, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's uh, Fleabag got much acclaim. Uh, it was uh, off Broadway in 2019. I don't recall. Did you guys uh, review it? Did you see it? I did not see it, but I've since seen a video, and um, it wasn't for me. I'm going to yeah. leave it at that because okay. I had a very strong reaction to it, and uh, and uh, enough that I did not finish watching the video. 
Oh, it was down at the uh, Soho Playhouse in April mm-hmm. of 2019. Michael, did you see it? No, I missed it. Oh, can't see them all, can we now? No, no. Learned that long ago. <laughs> but um, just a tremendous amount of acclaim uh, at, the, at the Golden Globes as well. So uh, let's shift over to Lincoln Center where, Mike, Michael, you saw the uh, uh, current production of La Boheme at the Met. So uh, tell us about this. Well, I've seen it many times. This is the legendary Franco Zeffirelli production. Um, and this uh, performance was conducted by Marco Armigliato. Um, uh, production, Franco Zeffirelli, set design, Franco Zeffirelli. Uh, costume designer, Peter J. Hall. Lighting designer, Gil Wexler. And the revival stage director is somebody named Gregory Keller, uh, Mr. Zeffirelli, of course, died last year. And and at any rate, uh, usually when people direct shows at the Met, they they don't hang around for the whole run. They uh, they just do it initially, and then there's a someone a stage director on staff who handles the revivals. Uh, but this was a. Uh, uh, not the best performance I've seen, but it's just so wonderful to see that production. And the um, the Mimi is someone new to me who was really quite fabulous. Her name was Maria Agresta. Her name is Maria Agresta. And I did get to see, um, there's been a lot of... Uh, 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 ch- uh, changes in the in the roles uh, uh, for the current per- performances. It's not um, a, a sm- uh, it's several different singers singing the, the major roles, and so I was lucky enough to get Roberto Alagna uh, as Rodolfo, which is really wonderful because I ha- have not heard him in a while. And something um, happened. Actually, two things happened during this performance that just bring home the the thrill of live performance uh alanya sounded quite wonderful throughout i would say but there was one moment where uh for some reason he started singing in the wrong key Ooh, uh yeah and it's it's just at a very exposed moment where the the orchestra practically cuts out and then he comes in and he was like uh like a I don't know. He was like a full tone down or something like that. And he, and he sang in the wrong key for about four Ooh. measures, four measures. Ooh. And then he, I, I'm not sure exactly how he got it, but then he, he, he got it. Uh, I, I think the conductor indicated to him and he found where he was supposed to be. And then he was fine. Uh, but then at the end of actually that same scene, it's uh, the, the second scene of the opera, the, the famous uh, Café Momus scene uh, with uh, 300 people on stage at one point, I think it is. Uh, when the band comes in at the end, an, an actual band comes in uh, in the last two or three minutes of the act. Uh, so in addition to the 85-piece orchestra or whatever it is, wow. there are all these music. <laughs> on stage and uh but they start off stage and they and they march on and they play and it it can be very difficult for the conductor to keep the on stage band in sync with the orchestra and on this occasion for the first time i ever seen it it completely got unglued for again um i don't know maybe about 30 seconds and they almost stopped <laughs> uh wow. and then uh somebody you know 
I think the brass section got it back together and, and everyone followed them and then, and then it was fine till the end. So uh, I guess it's uh, just interesting to see that even at that level, uh, that exalted level of the Metropolitan Opera, that things like that can go wrong, mm. uh, especially in a tremendous complicated show like that with onstage bands and things of that sort. But that act two, uh, that scene two, excuse me, is just, well, it is actually, it's, it's act two as well. It's act two and it's the second scene. Uh, it's just spectacular. In addition to all those people, uh, you have, um, uh, I think, two horses on stage or a horse and a donkey. <laughs> Uh, and it's, uh, you know, the, the, the audience still bursts into applause when the curtain goes up and it's just overwhelming. So to be able to still experience that is, is a privilege. And it's one reason why some of us live in New York, or if we don't live here, we visit as often as we can. So Michael, you've seen Bohem uh, a number of times. Uh, so this other uh, thing might not be up your alley, but it was, uh, uh, well, only because you probably understand Bohem by this point. But there is a new technology that is, uh, people are looking at uh, glasses that will uh, project the uh, English subtitles to the glasses so that you don't have to watch them either uh, over the proscenium or, or on the back of the seat or something like that so you can keep your eye on the stage at the same time. It's a very interesting type of thing. Have you seen such technology like this uh, in, in other places? I mean, the, uh, the Met has their own uh, uh, technology on the back of the seats and right. so, uh, and things like that, but I find it distracting sometimes. Well, it, yeah, I mean, you do have to still keep shifting your eyes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this I, this new thing you mentioned, I had heard something about it, and of course, it could be just really fantastic if it works. Yeah. Really well. That would be really uh, very interesting. Uh, did you guys hear the uh, news that Mr. Sondheim took a fall? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and as a result, um, the, the ceremony at the, um, the Sondheim news. Theater in London, yeah, is um, is going to be delayed, which is really, uh, yeah. We yeah. Think about Sondheim being ninety years old, and uh, almost, 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 yeah, ninety years old, and mm. the, the fact that uh, these falls make us very nervous. You bet. Yeah. It's a good thing, and he's not even in West Side Story. Mm. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> we did have some involvement, but uh, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> somewhere along the line. <laughs> I tell you, the I feel pretty is uh, he's still smarting about that. <laughs> so um, Music Man confirmed that they are going to be taking over the Winter Garden Theater for a Broadway run. But uh, at the same time that that was announced, uh, Beetlejuice broke their box office record for a third consecutive uh, time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, bringing in 1.4 million over uh, the, that that week. So uh, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with uh, Beetlejuice and the Music Man. I'm supposing that Beetlejuice is, you know, going to close and probably. I um, I don't think so. Um, not with grosses like that. Um, I I believe they'll find a, a theater somewhere, and um, you know, we don't know um, how these new musicals are going to be doing. Um, right. We have a few coming in, so who knows? Um, but all things considered, um, I do believe that when a show is a success, that uh, it will not close for that reason. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Of course, part of the speculation had been that if West Side Story was not well received, yeah. Yeah. not was not selling out as it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that that might have closed quickly and the Music Man could have gone there instead. Yeah, but as I said earlier, literally, I didn't give the figure, but 12 people I know who have seen it are crazy for it. Yeah. And we also have uh, news of development of, uh, of of shows The Nanny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For Broadway. Right. And Hee Haw, which has been mm-hmm. in development forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, Peter, have you seen any uh, any readings of the Hee Haw musical? No, nor of, uh, but I'll tell you what, what surprised me about the nanny. Uh, when I heard it was going to be a musical, I said, Ooh, um, and Hampton Calloway, um, is obviously oh. going to do it because she wrote the theme song. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, I would have think that, that, um, I would have thought that, uh, they would have gone to her. Um, and, um, I'm sorry that they didn't cause she is an astonishing songwriter. And I don't know if you've ever seen her act where she improvises. Uh, she says to the audience, give me some words. And they give her various right. words, and then she just puts them into a song, um, improvising as she goes along. So uh, she's a major talent, both as a performer and as a songwriter. So um, I think it would have been wonderful if she were doing it. That said, um, you know, we'll certainly give the benefit of the doubt of the people who are doing it. And um, um, I think it could be uh, quite successful, and um, I'm hoping for the best. I have no idea, but I think maybe it's possible that she uh, was approached and decided not to for whatever reason, because I know that uh, that Fran Drescher is, 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 you know, very, very much uh, still, uh, I mean, they're, they're still, they're, they're close friends and, and that Fran Drescher is very, uh, very, very grateful for that theme song and, and everyone was very happy about it. So, uh, so for whatever that's worth, I mean, uh, we'll, I, I don't suppose we'll ever know how mm-hmm. that went down. Um, uh, a bunch of, uh, is it six, nine months ago? Maybe even a year. I don't recall. You'll help me there. That uh, Rent Live uh, put into question whether or not uh, whether or not we're ever going to see a movie musical back on ABC television. But they announced that Young Frankenstein is going to be the next live musical on ABC. Uh, any thoughts on that? Good choice. Why not? Um, I I would think that uh, an audience that uh, certainly a network audience that's used to seeing sitcoms will find this quite enjoyable. Yes, and it's the kind of show that definitely benefits from a live audience mm-hmm. extremely well. <laughs> so I uh, googled it quickly. It was January twenty seventh, so almost a year ago. Almost a year ago that Rent Live was uh, was on Fox, but and this is ABC. Did you really? I'm sorry. No, Um, no, go ahead, James. Did you did you really feel that uh, that that put the form in jeopardy? Yeah, I did. There seemed to be no news for a long time, so um, I was a bit concerned as well. And then right after that, they had canceled something else. Well, I don't recall what. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye Bye Birdie was canceled, oh, certainly, uh, but that was a while ago. But something else was canceled. Yeah, you're right. I'm I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, ironically enough, the other night I watched Blazing Saddles, uh, a Mel Brooks movie, <laughs> and it was so amazing to me when you think that Gene Wilder is gone and Cleavon Little is gone and Madeline Kahn is gone hmm. and Mel Brooks is still here. Hmm. You know, yeah, he was older than all of them, and yet he's still here, and 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 they're long gone. 
and um, Mel Brooks just had his uh, Mel Brooks on Broadway. The um, sure little mm. interview thing that they had yeah over over there uh, recently. So uh, before we wrap up, uh, we remind our listeners that Broadway Week is coming up, and you can get two for one tickets. Um, uh, for Broadway Week, it's uh, January 21st to February 9th, so uh, I'll have a link to the Broadway Week website there. So uh, if you're planning to come into New York or if you're in New York and you want to see a few discounted shows, definitely get over to check that out. So before we get on to the trivia question, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. TuneIn plays us. Stitcher plays us. Google Play plays us. Anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you will be able to find our offerings for Broadway Radio. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have a uh, question for this week? Yeah. In the 80s, when the book writer, composer, and lyricist, each of whom had already won two Tonys, originally worked on this show, it had a song with this lyric. The wait for critics is a bitch, but here's a very lucky switch. We win approval from Frank Rich, even (laughs) though it isn't Sondheim. By the time the show opened, the song was dropped for good reason. What's the musical, the names of the three writers, and the reason the song was dropped? (laughs) Okay, if you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that is how the summer went. Oh, I'm just getting started. Oh, the flowers bloomed and the fruit got ripe. Who says times are high? And the lovers took each other by the hand. Anybody want a drink? And danced underneath the sky. Up on top, we ain't got much. But we're living it, living it up. Just enough to fill our cups. Living it up on top. Brother, press that bottle around. Cause we're living it, living it up. Let the poet bless this round. To the patroness of all of this, Persephone. Here, here. To the sunshine.